God's Word together tonight to Genesis chapter 45. Last week we saw Judah pleading for his brother Benjamin to be that substitute, and we were then to anticipate Joseph's response, and tonight we see a revealing reunion, something that uh, there are many things that are being revealed in this uh, response of Joseph to his brothers. Genesis chapter 45, we'll be reading the first 15 verses and then considering what God has to teach us from his word this evening. Listen then to the reading of God's own holy word. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. But no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have Do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers Talked with him. So far, the reading of God's unholy word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this story is filled with passion. We've been looking at Joseph, and he seems to be this very almost stoic character, almost having no emotion, very self controlled. Uh, Before Potiphar's wife, very self controlled. There, as he's in prison, he's waiting to be remembered, uh, as he's forgotten in that. Jail cell by the cupbearer. But Joseph is not a man without emotions. After he sees his brothers again, he can't control himself, we read there in the opening of our passage. And as we look closer to how he responds, we uh, have a revelation for ourselves of how we are to respond to uh, God's call to us in his word. From the moment Joseph sets eyes on his brothers, He knows who they are. We saw that in the previous chapters, and he immediately uh, uh, tests them. 
because he wants to see just who these brothers have become. Are they changed? Are they different? And he wants to know if they're still filled with hatred and lacking compassion. Did they have a troubled conscience over their sin? Or were they unmoved, dismissive of their sin? Well, they certainly knew they had need for food. They were coming to Egypt to find that food. But what about their deeper need, their need of their hearts? Brothers and sisters, Genesis is not just an account of uh, a factual account of how Israel got to Egypt. Well, we have to have this. We have to know how, how this all happened. And so we, this, this book is written. It's, it's a book about uh, humanity. It's a book about origins, as I've said already. And I want us to keep that in front of our, in front of our, our, our minds. It teaches us about ourselves. It shows us that we have to, that God needs to reveal to us what and who we are inside. And he wants to test us. There will be times of testing. And he does that so that we might uh, uh, respond to him, recognizing our need. He wants us to know our own hearts. Sin has left uh, a deep stain upon humanity. It's left a, a deep consequence upon us that we don't often recognize. We don't really every day understand how much we need the Lord. We, we kind of go out the door in the morning and, and we just we kind of, we're very often just living moment to moment without remembering how God has called us to live in complete dependence upon Him and to seek Him moment by moment. And He has to remind us of, of that. And in Genesis, we, we see man's sin at the very beginning of the, the book. And as it, as it develops, we see that it's even amongst the covenant people. And we ask, the question is set before us as we read through the, the book, how will God respond to sin? Is he simply going to dismiss it? Is he going to uh, uh, bring an end to humanity? Captured right here in this opening book is, 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 a, is a gateway then to the rest of Scripture as to, as to who God is and, and how he's handling sin, how he's revealing uh, uh, our own hearts to us. The suspense has grown in these chapters. Joseph's brothers continue to suppress their guilt. They don't... Uh, want to speak about it. They don't want to acknowledge what has happened. Oh, they acknowledge in their speaking, as we've seen in past chapters, that something happened to their brother and they, they go along with the story that he was, he was uh, taken care of by some wild animals. They, they, they just go along with their father's conclusion. But their sin still haunts them. And it rises to the surface in their last visit to Egypt when they have to leave their brother Simeon there. They conclude that this distress happened because of their heartless and calculated betrayal of their brother. As they left Egypt at that time, they left with wounded consciences, but it's not clear if they're going to come to that point of confession. And we see when they come home, they don't, they don't give too many details about, about uh, 
the story. They give enough so that their father knows they were there in Egypt and, and what, had, what transpired, but they're not going to say anything about Joseph and about their brother. They're, they're, there's certainly thoughts going through their minds, but they, they aren't ready to confess. They're trying to avoid this. And that's the story of humanity. God sets before us our offense uh, before him, and we continually try to ignore it or acknowledge it, but say, well, we're not as bad as, as those other people. And yeah, we have certain uh, shortcomings, but, you know, we're, we're, we're working our way through this. And God says, I want to bring you to the point of confession, and I want, to, I want you to see who I am as well in this opening book. Well, then we come to this account, and the brothers have returned to Egypt after the, the food has run out. We saw the interaction last week, Judah's plea for Benjamin to be a substitute, and we see then as Joseph's response, he can't control himself any longer. He can no longer remain silent. He commands everybody to go out. He says, make everyone go out. I'll leave the room. And we... We can imagine ourselves coming to this account for the first time or looking at this story. We might say, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to let them have it? <laughs> are they going to be able to, to, to leave this, this chamber from before him? Or will he bring down judgment upon them? He certainly has grounds to do so. He certainly has the power to do so. That's where we see something of, of God being revealed in, in, in Joseph. God has the, 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 uh, the right to do that. He certainly has the power to do that. But the question is, will he do that? How is he going to do that? Or is he just going to dismiss our sin? Say, well, it's not a big deal. We're going to see that unfold here this evening. After everyone leaves the room, Joseph lets out an intense cry, such that so, so loud that the, whole, the entire household hears him crying. He reveals himself to his brothers, and they're in shock. They're, they're dismayed, is, a, is, is the translation here, but they're in shock at his presence. And they're thinking to themselves, what's going to happen to us? What, what's our brother going to do? Now it's right there in front of us. Our guilt, our, our fault is right there before us. What will he do? And Joseph says, come near to me. He wants his brothers to see him for who he is. To recognize that he is their brother. That he is not a vengeful ruler. But he is their loving brother. If the brothers could only know his pain and, to know, and know his suffering, they, 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 would have, they would have come and completely collapsed before him. He says to them, come near. Come near. And he tells them that he wants to deliver them from the famine. He says, come near and see who I am. And know my heart. I have been put here as we'll see in a few moments, to deliver. And I want to deliver not just the people of the surrounding area, but you, my brothers, the ones who have sinned against me greatly. The image makes 
us think of Jesus as he cries out. Joseph cries out in revealing, and the, the whole household of Pharaoh hears it. Jesus cries out on the cross, and, and we are called, we are, we are drawn to that cry. What is, he, what is he going to say? As he cries from the cross, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And he says that behalf of those whom God has elect, uh, elected. He comes. He gives up everything. He's the one who gives up his own life, humbling himself even to death on the cross. And there he cries in a loud voice and the temple curtain is, is torn in two. The way is opened for sinners to come to God. Well, Joseph's passion, his intense cry points us to Christ. Jesus reveals himself to the world and declares that he is a savior from death. When he says, come to me, come near to me and see who I am. I'm a brother. I've taken on flesh. And I'm here to deliver you. When sin separates we ought to seek reconciliation. Is that, is that what you seek when you, are, when you sin against someone? Are you seeking to be restored to them? Is that your first impulse? It's not, is it? Your first impulse is, I, I, don't, want to, I, I don't want to admit that. Or, or if someone has sinned against you, I don't want to go there. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the pain. I don't want to deal with the, the confrontation. We're called to draw near to the one we've sinned against and to seek reconciliation in Christ. Be imitators of God, dearly beloved, Paul writes in Ephesians. Forgive as you have been forgiven in Christ, the end of chapter 4. That's the impulse. That's the, that's the drive. That's, that's what's being seen here in this, in this opening book as, as, we, as we think about long before the Christ is revealed. God's saying, this is, this is the story. How do you fit into it? Where, where do you see yourself? Are you on the way? Are you Joseph? Are you Joseph's brothers? Where are you? Joseph does not tell the entire court to leave because he's ashamed of his brothers. As though he's saying, well, I'm just going to reveal myself to you, but I don't want anybody else to know that I'm a Hebrew. No, we know just a few verses later, and Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. Pharaoh, Pharaoh sees these are his brothers, and he's, he's uh, uh, thankful that, that Joseph's brothers are in Egypt. Joseph's not ashamed. But he, he calls these other men of the court to leave that he might speak tenderly to his brothers. Jesus, who knows your sin and mine, is not ashamed to call us brothers, sisters, Hebrews 2 tells us. He speaks tenderly to us. He's willing to have us come near, that he might call us to look to him for life. We heard those words this morning in Lord's Supper, come to the table. He says, come all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I give myself for you, he says, as he institutes uh, the, the sacrament. He says, I'm, remember my death until I come again, my body given, my blood shed, that you might have your sins forgiven. 
and be reconciled. What's, what's behind this? Well, there's a lot of things behind this, but one thing that I wanted to focus on with you briefly here tonight is the joy. Joseph's joy at the, at the thought of being reconciled to his brothers removes the pain and removes any, any sense of, of, of getting even. He says, I am, I am re- rejoicing that my brothers are near and that I want to be reconciled with my father. It's joy. Takes away his pain and covers over all of his grief. So too with Jesus. He endured the cross, we read in Hebrews. He absorbed the pain and the joy that he had at the thought of sinners reconciled to his father, led him to serve his father unto death. To, to absorb the pain when, when people misunderstood him, to absorb the pain when they, when they slandered him, willing to, to die, to complete the work that the father had for him, to Redeem lost sinners. When Joseph's brothers come near to him, he reminds them of what they've done. You sold me into slavery, he says. I'm the one, verse 4, you, I'm the one whom you sold into Egypt. He wants them to acknowledge their sin. Is that important? Today, we say, well, we're just forgiven. We don't have to consider sin. We're just, we're just forgiven. Is that the, the, the testimony of Scripture? Is that the message? No, it's not. It says we are to confess our sins. And then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says the important part of the Spirit's work is to convict of sin and to comfort by bringing understanding of what has been accomplished through Christ, that is the saving of many lives. Catechism says this, how do, we, how do I come to know my sin and misery? It says the law of God tells me we, our sins are brought near to us in the law that we might be convicted of our sin, that we might hear with great anticipation, with great vigor, with great desire, his assurance of pardon. We might look to him, the gospel becomes all the sweeter when we understand how we've sinned against God and that God has provided righteousness for us. The glory goes to God for conviction of sin and for the provision of a Savior. Joseph says, you sold me into Egypt, but then he says this, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Quite a statement. Is he dismissing their sin? Is he just going to say, just forget it? No. How do we know that? Because of what he says next. Listen to what he says next. He, 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 he's not saying just forget about it, but he's saying this has, been, this has been dealt with by God. God sent me here. He had a plan. He sent me here, and it is not mine to take, uh, 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 make judgment upon you. It is mine to acknowledge that God has sent me through this turn of events, through this suffering, that I, might, that I might serve him. Verse 5 and verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Joseph wants the brothers to see God, to see his glory and his goodness. And he wants them to, to look for forgiveness. They don't have to wallow in, in self-loathing. God had a plan and he's working that plan. And the brothers are now humbled and God mercifully keeps this 
this period short before he reveals his plan to them through Joseph. We could say he keeps it short. In another sense, he hasn't kept it short. They've been, been dealing with the sin in the back of their minds. What have we done to our brother? And, and, and trying to suppress that truth. But here in the, in the revelation, he's, he's very straightforward and he says, this is my plan. Now, confess your sin in the midst of my plan and then receive my provision. In, in, in one sense, the, the catechism is laid out that way too. We've, we've said it before, the, the, the first section of the catechism on sin, you know, sin, salvation, service, the shortest section of the catechism is on sin. <laughs> not because that's not our biggest need or our biggest area of concern, but that God moves on, or, or the writer saw that God moved on from that immediately to the salvation section and then, then calling us uh, to consider how, how to respond to God for his great grace and mercy. God needs to remind us over and over again that he's working good through everything that we face. Even the acknowledgement of sin, even bringing that to the surface, that we might confess it, that we might know what to turn from, what is, what is the besetting sin that is in us that we want to put to death. And Joseph's story is that of humiliation before exaltation. It's seen in the lives of the brothers. It's really the message of, of, of Scripture. We must humble ourselves Right? The Lord comes near to those who humble themselves, and only they are the ones who are exalted. And through this trial, through this tribulation, Joseph's being strengthened, prepared for the work that God had pre- prepared in advance for him to do, and that is God's message to us as well. We're strengthened, prepared for that work that he has for us to do. It's, it's a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, to remember that God has a plan for you, that he's working it out in you, that you are living for his honor, for his glory, and that all of these events, all of these twists and turns are being used of God to strengthen you, to lead you not to become more independent, but more dependent upon God, that you might walk with sure foot before a world that is in great need. How do you live into that plan, those plans? It can happen in any number of ways. Perhaps there's a stress at, at the workplace. How do you show that, you're, that you have a, a, a calling that's higher in the sense of, of, of a perspective that's higher than, than just this world? You come and you show up at work and you, do, you put in good work and you put in a, a, a committed work. When others look and they say, how can, you, how can you just be so steadfast? How can you be working so faithfully? You say, because, because I'm doing this as unto the Lord. Some will say, how do you, how do you raise those, those children? They're, they're, how, do you, how do you do that? The Lord guides and directs. He tells us what we're to teach and, and, and the example that we're supposed to model. And, and we recognize that he has given us model and set example for us and those who've gone before. Maybe someone comes and talks of his wife or someone comes and talks of her husband in a way that does not honor the marriage. What do you how do you respond? Well, you, you, you remind uh, in, in the conversation, you remind the person what, what marriage is and how, how uh, two very different people are brought to be one. And that, that uh, union is a gift from God that working together as one, God might be glorified. And keeping that perspective, giving that directive. 
making some application as we think about God's plan in our everyday lives. God shows us our heart and then he shows us his. He reveals to us our need and then he reveals to us his his plan. And only as we learn of our need and begin to understand his grace can we faithfully tell others of his grace. God must teach us of that. The great hymn writer John Newton, you know his story. He was raised uh, uh, till the age of six by a, by a, a very godly mother brought to church. And, and she, as I recall, the story passed away at that young age. His father was a moral man but had no time for church, no interest in religion. And, and by age 11, John Newton was on the, the ships at sea and, and uh, was, was living like uh, those sailors and joined the slave trade and later on in life realized, was convicted, just, just un, very uncomfortable about his life, remembering back what, what, what he had learned. And the Lord took hold of him and he wrote that, that him amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And in this, he's, he's acknowledging God had this all worked out and he had, to, he had to acknowledge God's working in it. At the end of his life, he could say, although my memory is fading, these two things I remember. First, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. That testimony of, of God's saving plan throughout. That very simple but very powerful witness that we give day by day. Well, so too we can see uh, God's plan in salvation. The, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, knew the Father's plan from eternity as we read it in Scripture from before the foundation of the world. Before it was laid, there, God had this plan to redeem sinners. The Son of God from eternity knew and agreed to take on flesh with all of its weaknesses, with all of the Testings and trials with the time of separation from his father to be born in a manger, to be subject to illness and all the attacks in this life, to go ultimately to the cross. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured it all. His eye was on his father in that plan that he had, that the father had given him. He knew the goodness of his father and submitted himself to him. Imagine the thought that must have been going through his mind as he's praying that high priestly prayer in John 17 and he says, Father, restore to me the glory that I had with you from eternity. Imagine what a, what a, a, a conscious uh, 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 reminder set before him that his, his end was glory once again with the Father. How this brought him joy to look ahead. But a powerful focus was needed for him in the face of upcoming, the upcoming unspeakable suffering that he had to endure. We see that throughout the scriptures. What about Paul? If he glimpses heaven, he says he can't even describe the glory of it. He's brought up to heaven, but he could not put it into words. He receives this, uh, this confidence from the Lord that he will be taken to glory Why? Because he has this heavy work set before him. He's told that he will suffer greatly to bring the gospel 
the children of Israel, and to the Gentiles. God assured him of his plan that he had for him. And Paul rejoiced at the thought of living for Christ to call others to him. Well, there's a plan. The brothers here are just now beginning. It's just now becoming, coming into focus for Joseph's brothers. And Joseph turns them to the Lord, helps them to see God's greater plan of deliverance. God does that to us as well, for us as well, as we ask him, as we look into his word, as we see uh, the book of Genesis open before us, as we see the scriptures open before us, his plan of that of humiliation before exaltation, the cross before glory, and that reminder that he is able to give us grace sufficient to bring us through, that we might have joy in the midst of adversity. Well, Joseph is overwhelmed. He longs to see his father that he has not yet seen or that he has not seen for many years. He longs to complete the plan that God had for him, which was to save many lives. He says to his brothers, hurry, don't delay. Get my father and all who are with him and bring them down that I might provide for you, that you might be near me. Now, we know this is not the final resting place for the family of God, but it was a place made ready for God to bestow blessing. And it's a picture of what God does uh, and how he prepares us for what is to come. He says there is coming a, a promised land of rest, a promised land of provision. Joseph is made father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house, ruler of Egypt, that may not be your position today. <laughs> that may not be where you feel yourself in, in the scheme of things as far as the, the, the pecking order may go, but God nevertheless leads you and calls you to be his witness. Joseph provides for the world. In this, we see a picture of Christ. Remember, all the earth was coming down to Egypt to buy grain. We read that back in chapter 41, verse 57. Joseph is that picture of Christ who would provide for all the earth. And we must marvel, brothers and sisters, that God has brought us in to provide for us materially and spiritually. Look, at the, look around at the family he's given you, the brothers and sisters that you have, the people to help you, to encourage you, to build one another up. Consider the message of eternal peace that he speaks to you tonight through these words. As God worked in Joseph's brothers, so he works in you and so he works in me. We must turn from sin walking by faith, looking to the author and perfecter of our faith, was one for us everlasting provision in a land of eternal rest. We're pilgrims here, headed for glory. And while we wait, we testify to God's steadfast love, to his faithfulness. And he has provided life for all who will believe in his son, those who are under the curse of death. And we want others to hear of this to see what we have seen, to know the goodness, the power, and the grace of God, to have them come near and to see. 
That is God's call to us to bring that message. Let's ask the Lord now to help us to do that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we see you throughout the scriptures, as we see you in this opening book, we see ourselves reminded of our need as it's brought before us. We also see you and how you have provided deliverance from sin's curse. May that lead us to rejoice. May that lead us to go forth with a a song to sing, to call others to sing with us your praises. For you have set before us life forevermore. May we see your plan worked out in our lives day by day. May we see the bigger picture when we can't see it in the moment. That we would not forget that you are working for our good and for your glory. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. What is that wonderful inheritance that is coming? Number 468, Jerusalem, the golden. It is not clear to us all the joys that await us there. Jerusalem, the golden, with milk and honey blessed, beneath your contemplation, Sink heart and voice oppressed. I know not, oh, I know not, what joys await us there, what radiancy of glory, what bliss beyond compare. compare. But this is where we are headed, that sweet and blessed country that eager hearts expect. We're singing, Jesus in mercy, bring us to that dear land of rest. We want to do that now. Let's stand to sing the four stanzas of number 468.
Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, as we reflect upon that coming wonderful new Jerusalem, we recognize that the need now is to get the word out and to tell others of that coming, that coming kingdom, that coming new heavens and earth. We pray that you would bless your servants who bring your word. We think of Reverend Zeckfeld and the ministry that he has with the Hope Center Toronto Mission as we take offering for that this evening. We pray for them, for that congregation, that you would cause them to be bold in witness, to be thoughtful in interaction, that you would lead people to recognize that there's something different about those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, encourage them even in this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together as we confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed, recognizing our recognize our great God, the one whom we to whom we sing, and the one whom we confess, we say together, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, 
and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. People of God, receive this parting blessing. May the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom to capture your hearts for Christ, to comfort your hearts in Christ, and to comfort your hearts before Christ. Amen.